Please be advised that the following podcast does contain adult themes and languages. Thank you. Welcome to the Illuminating Mycelium Podcast. The podcast for everyday people by everyday people. I'm your host, Project Dave, and I'm back at it again to continue highlighting and amplifying the lives, ventures, and endeavors of everyday people just like you and me and learning from them along the way. And in our quest to highlight and amplify everyday people and learn from them, we're featuring our conversation with none other than Carter McDonald. We'll be discussing a lot of cool and interesting topics, including the need for third parties in the political sphere the efficacy and benefits of Kratom, conspiracy theories, what it's like being a furry, and much more. I'm very excited to share this conversation with you guys today. So without further ado, here comes Carter. When talking about everyday people and their stories, we can't help but talk about all their hard work. So grab a cup of coffee. I often think about what fuels a lot of these everyday folks, as well as what sustains me personally. Coffee certainly helps, but it can't just be any coffee. It's gotta be coffee made by everyday people for everyday people. The kind that when you brew it in a pot, it kind of just draws everyone to the kitchen and they're sniffing that aroma. Our beans are sourced from small businesses in the heart of the Appalachia. My personal favorite, the Route 39 blend from Lexington Roasters is a Forbes top ranked coffee. You can also check the notes on each blend to determine flavor profiles, shipping, and more. Beans are roasted on a weekly basis to ensure freshness. So if you're looking for some extra fuel to aid you in your everyday lives, ventures, and endeavors, go to thegrindbluefield.com backslash shop dash coffee dash roast or click the link in the description to pick out your next coffee beans and brew a pot of happiness. The grind never stops. All right, so Carter, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing real good. All right, thanks for coming on the podcast and telling us more about yourself. Yeah. All right, cool. So um, before we dive in further, let's just go over your background a little bit to get to know you. Um, so where did you grow up? Oh, I grew up in Coon Rapids, Minnesota. It's a northern suburb of Minneapolis, kind of over by Brooklyn Park, if you're familiar with that area at all. But yeah, it was a pretty good childhood, pretty suburban. Um can't say it was very, uh, like a bad neighborhood when I was growing up. It was a very nice neighborhood, actually. Nice. Pretty middle class, middle, middle class, I'd say. Awesome. Um, do you like living in Minnesota? No. <laughs> <laughs> where, like, if you could choose one place to, like, move, where would it be? Right now, we're, we're thinking about moving to, like, southern Utah. We want to move to a quiet state. Um, one that is warmer, quite a bit warmer. So... Not like full blown Texas heat or like Arizona desert, but definitely warmer, you know. I feel that. So, Southern Utah is where, but we're looking at taking a trip there and actually moving up there. Nice. I feel that. I want to move somewhere where there's more sun because I feel like I really miss that vitamin D and the seasonal depression is just it is real. Yeah. It is real. I remember going through <clears throat> when I was a kid, like my dad would get depressed in the winter, like because he didn't have any work. And, uh, you know, he just kind of sit at home and like, I didn't fully understand it. Like I always understood, oh yeah, you know, it, it didn't really have that big of an effect on me growing up. But now as an, I'm an adult, I'm like, I don't even know how he managed to like raise us during the winter months, you know, like yeah. that's gotta be fucking hard. 
All right. So first topic that we have on the board today, um, finding balance in third parties in the political sphere, because it's two party system is bullshit. I just want to say that first and foremost. Oh, yeah. Um, dude. I don't even think it is a two party <laughs> system anymore. I think it's all one ruling class, one ruling party, and the little bit of choice we get is illusion at best. And have you been seeing what's going on in the stock market, right? Yep. yep. I think that's a prime example right there. Oh, yeah. Some people finally learned how to use the stock market. Some normal, just blue collar blokes fucking use how to use the stock market to their advantage. And nope, they don't want that shit to happen. Not one bit. Buy Dogecoin. I might not Dogecoin. We have a little bit of Bitcoin, but what's Dogecoin? It's not. The- uh, it's, it's like, I mean, it's similar, but it's like, it literally has the Shiba Inu dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Dude. And like, okay, so last week it was at like literally half a penny. And now it's at like four cents, I think. Oh, so that's like you could have quadrupled your money right there. Yeah, exactly. So and they're, they're talking about trying to get it up to a dollar. Which I think is possible. They can get GameStop up to like 400. Yeah. They can, oh, they can definitely do this. But I hear Monero is actually the, the best Bitcoin. I don't know if you're familiar with the Darknet at all. I don't, I don't use the Darknet, but I do kind of follow some of the trends in it. Yeah. And right now that's what everybody's using is Monero. It's apparently the most private, most secure, least traceable cryptocurrency oh, out there. I guess Bitcoin at this point is pretty much cracked. And yeah. anybody who... Any type of three-letter agency out there can pretty much monitor exactly what you're doing. The alphabet boys. The alphabet boys, man. (laughs) I know all about them alphabet boys. So, okay, for you personally, what is the significance of not attaching yourself to just one party and kind of like seeing things for what they are, grabbing good ideas from one party, good ideas from another, but not sticking to just one party? I think think there's something very limiting about attaching yourself to one party. And I think it's almost hypocritical as both parties, Republican, Democrat, they both go back on their word. They both do things that are wrong. And I just don't see how you can be such a benign person, such, you know, one of those people that can perfectly align yourself to just one party. You can't like, how can you be an interesting person and still agree with everything that the Democratic Party says or everything that the Republican Party says or even everything that the Libertarian Party says? You know, I, I've talked to you about this before. I would call myself a Libertarian for the most part. But even then, there's a lot of things within the Libertarian doctrine that I, I don't agree with. And out of all the, the elections I've voted in, I've only voted Libertarian once and I voted Democrat once and I voted Republican once. So. And those were the three elections I went to. So I just don't, I don't get how somebody can just stick to one party, like, and still consider themselves to be it's an open-minded, free-thinking individual. I feel like, especially now, like, I see so many people, like, simping mm-hmm. for their party. And it's like, that's not what we're supposed to do. They're supposed to serve us. We're yeah. not supposed to serve them. That's know? exactly what we're supposed to do. We're <clears> supposed <throat> to serve us. And I, you, I'm, it's, I'm all about candidate, you know? Um, there was a Democratic candidate that I voted for. I think it was a Minnesota governor. I think it was Mark Dayton. And I, you know, I did support him at the time, you know, and I can't really think back to a whole lot of his policies, but I just thought he was better than the, the, I can't really. I think it was Tom Emmer that he was running against, right? I think so. This was my first ever election. So I wasn't overwhelmingly well-versed in politics. Um, But then I, I did also go on caucus for Bernie Sanders. I went and voted in the primary for Bernie Sanders in the 20. They stole that from Bernie, man. I was so mad. Twice they stole that from Bernie. Oh, yeah. And then they put in Hillary Clinton and then I voted Gary Johnson. And then 2020, I voted Trump. Yeah. Straight up. I don't know who you voted for. 
But yeah. it doesn't really matter to me. I don't really care. And then Ben asked me, he's like, oh, will you vote for Joe Biden? I'm like, well, 2024, if he did good things. And if dude, I like dementia, what he, man. Yeah, dude, he does. <laughs> it's sad, man. Dementia's hard. He, but he legit, he probably does. But if he does good things and come 2024, I don't see any reason why I wouldn't vote for he's him. He's done a couple of good things. Like, one thing I'll say I agree with is, like, uh, like he's changing the federal vehicles to electric. Yeah. That's probably a good thing. I, you know, I would agree that we do need to do something about fossil fuels and global warming, but I will also make the the statement and say that I think you can't legislate good ideas. You can't mandate good ideas. If it's a good idea, the free market will decide that it's a good idea. I think we need to stop subsidizing oil. I think we need to stop subsidizing cars that run off gasoline. Um, I think our government needs to pull off basically we're hedging our bets for one side and for the last hundred years that side has been fossil fuels so why are we going to turn around and do the exact same thing just for green and renewable shit why don't we just pull away all those subsidies and stuff like that and let the people in the market decide what the best technology to get around is i agree yeah um in your view what is the best shot or way for third-party candidates to get into the mainstream debates I couldn't even tell you right now. It seems like <laughs> it's such a, it's such a, oh man, what is it? It seems like it's such a closed circuit. Yeah. Like if you're not one of them, you can't become one of them. And I think that's what Donald Trump honestly changed is because he came in and, you know, he was a millionaire businessman. So he was kind of an elite. He definitely was an elite, but he wasn't one of them. He wasn't right. one of the, the Washington elites, you know? So I think that's what was different about Donald Trump specifically. But I don't think it's very easy, if at all possible, for someone who isn't one of them already to to get in there unless they go and start S&D for the for the party of their choice. (laughs) But if they're not one of those two parties, I don't see it happening. Yeah, no, I was just asking because, you know, like, honestly, I do kind of want to run for office one day. And I've been kind of thinking to myself, like. Which party do I choose? Because, you know, there's policies that I like from both both sides. Like, <clears throat> I'll say this. I don't people. A lot of people probably won't agree with me, but I really did like Trump's policies. I did not like him as a person. Yeah, but I liked his policies. Exactly so my thing is I want to do something similar, but I want to be more uni- unifying yeah. in him. You know, no, I could definitely see you doing but, that. Yeah. Be a less. Uh... But honestly, I'm probably going to run as a Democrat, mm-hmm. but like a moderate one. Just because, like, I feel like I'm going to get called racist or something. If, <laughs> if you, if if you put that R next to your name, they're gonna, <laughs> they're gonna, all of a sudden you'll see a picture of yourself in a clan hood. And you won't right. know how it got there, but it's there. <laughs> <laughs> David, I found this picture of you on the Internet. What's going on? Dude, I don't know. It's not me. It's photoshopped. You can't even see my face, man. <laughs> that is exactly what happened. If you put that R next to your name. Okay, so maybe not on a presidential level, but on a local level, do you think that there's um, more of a chance for libertarian candidates to win local offices like mayor or city council? 100%. I feel like if you are going to make that change, that's where you got to start. And I think it's time we as a society and as a country start realizing just how important those city council positions are. If you want to make a change in your government, that's where you're going to make that change. So I'd say if you are interested in making a difference, start at the local level. Definitely. And this is where I want to give a shout out to uh, Spike Cohen. I don't know if you've heard of him, but uh, he was Joe Jorgensen's uh, VP running mate. And uh, he has his own podcast called 
I think the culture of winning or something like that. I'll look it up. But basically he interviews like local libertarians that won seats in local offices. And he's like, okay, you guys don't really get much attention. So how did you pull off this win? You know, like you do door knocking and call phone banking, you know, yada, yada, yada. So Mm -hmm. I think local level, hopefully that'll spread bigger, but I think so too. All right. Well, enough about uh, politics. Um, let's move on to some educational stuff. Um, <clears throat> you're very well versed in Kratom. Oh, yeah. Which um, honestly, outside of what you told me, I don't really know much about. Can you give us just like a brief overview to start and then we'll dive in further? So Kratom is a plant from Southeast Asia. It's a tree. It grows as a tree out there. Um Popular in, you know, Thailand, Vietnam. I think most of the stuff I get is grown over in Vietnam because it's actually illegal in Thailand. Um, pretty archaic law. I'm from what I've heard, they actually made it illegal because it interfered with the opium trade. Um, how true that is, I, I guess I can't say I've really looked into it. That's Thailand's politics, not America. That's where I've been mostly focused. But um, it does. I will admit it gets you high, you know, to a small degree, I would say less so than something like marijuana, but more so than something like coffee. It's a very functional high. You can get up and go about your business and go about your day while still feeling that buzz. But I, I, you know, there are some creative advocates out there that will say it doesn't get you high. And I think that's a lie. And I think it's important that we're honest. Yeah, it is a drug. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Speaking more to like the medical side of things, I know that you said like it can help people overcome addiction and stuff like that. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, it is a mild opiate. (laughs) It does affect your opiate receptors, but it affects a different part of them than traditional opiates. I'm not a pharmacologist, so I don't know how exactly that works, but it doesn't cause respiratory depression. Traditional opiates cause respiratory depression, which basically means after you take a certain amount of morphine or heroin or oxycodone, your brain will stop telling your lungs to breathe and you'll die. Um, This doesn't cause that. There's no amount of Kratom that anybody's ever taken that has killed anybody. Um, You can get sick if you take too much. I've gotten sick from it, too. You can throw up, get the wobbles. Obviously, there's always dangers when you're mixing it with other substances, but there has never been a single death attract attributed specifically to Kratom alone. The FDA's tried a couple of times, but everybody that's ever died from Kratom, it's either been Kratom that was mixed with something else, like either A, they bought it from a shady supplier and that supplier put a synthetic fentanyl analog in there or something. Um, It has happened, I think four people in Sweden died from that, but it wasn't because it was Kratom. It was Kratom mixed with some type of opiate. Yeah. Obviously, people mixing it with meth, molly, and other things, that can cause a slew of problems in and of itself, not specifically because of the kratom, but just simply because, well, you're mixing other very hard drugs with kratom. You know, it does, I think it raises your blood pressure a little bit. It's a small vasoconstrictor. I I don't exactly know, but... Um, and it is it is still legal in some states, isn't it? All like, states. It's Minnesota. It's Wait, legal it's, it's um, legal or illegal here? It is illegal in, in Wisconsin and Indiana. It's legal in Minnesota and all the other states. I think That's so weird. These two random states like yeah, nah, so can't have it. <laughs> when it first started rising to popularity, a couple states were real quick to illegalize it. But then the states like Minnesota, that Minnesota did try, however, they're too late. Kratom has become very popular. Gas station down the street from us sells it. They sell Kratom. I've gotten there. It's fine. Kratom. Head shops, record stores. They sell it. You can order it online. So a lot of people do take this. It's not an uncommon substance. Um, You know, it's obviously not as popular as, like I said, marijuana or coffee. 
Um, and you've but, even spoken to state legislatures about yeah, this. Right? Yeah, yeah, I spoke to. Um, um, basically, I got together with a group of people who are at Creative Advocates, and I will say it was kind of funny because. You're listening to the Illuminating Mycelium Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, you should come check out all of our fresh new merchandise and apparel that just dropped on our store. We've got t-shirts, pants, sweatshirts, hats, phone cases, water bottles, coffee mugs, shoot, even blankies, and a ton more. All made with comfy fabrics and premium materials. They feature our signature logos, catchphrases, guest picks, and come in all sizes. Now shipping nationwide right to your doorstep. Just go to illuminatingmyceliumpodcast.com or click the link in the description to pick out your next gear and become the mycelium. All the people there were, weren't people like me. They were old ladies. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> because they were all using it to treat their severe pain that they had. One of the girls there, um, very sweeter lady. I think she was in her 50s at the time. And... Um, uh, she was dealing with a lot of pain from a botched hysterectomy, I think, was the issue. And basically, they removed a large portion of her digestive tract. So she had the, the what is the bag that, you, that oh, your bowels empty into? In, in place I don't of remember colon. what it's called. I don't know what it is, but that, that's what she had. And she was in so much pain from that. And Kratom was the only thing that helped. Another woman was a woman in her 70s and she had dystonia. Do you know what dystonia is? Uh-huh. Basically, certain muscles in your body will contract very violently and very randomly. She had dystonia of the diaphragm. So randomly, she would get these really painful spasms of just gasping for air. And it got to the point where if she was driving and she had one of these attacks and episodes, she'd have to pull over because she might go unconscious from it. Yeah. Um, and it got to the point where it, she was having such frequent, such bad episodes that um, she couldn't leave her house anymore. And she found that Kratom and marijuana were the only things that helped. But marijuana got her high and she felt like she couldn't go about her normal day if she was high on weed. And, you know, she's a 70 year old lady. Obviously, something like weed is going to affect her more than most normal people. Yeah. So she felt with Kratom, not only does it fix it, but. And I don't want to use the word fix it, but it, she said her episodes were next to nothing. And she didn't have an episode, well, the entire day that I was with her. She even made a video of one of these episodes she was having. Now, obviously, I can't make any claims saying that Kratom will treat dystonia. But obviously, we should look more into that. If yeah. somebody's having this very weird, specific illness that is so intrusive to their d- daily life, we should look into that. Is Kratom a potential cure? I don't know what it did to her body to get rid of these episodes but it did and so i don't know but i think that's something we need to look more into but obviously there's i think another benefit of of having like more research into it is that that way it'll stay legal because my fear is that maybe like you know another some sort of government agency will come and be like you know, maybe we were wrong. Maybe this should be illegal. And then all of a sudden there's this push where they try to scare people, you know, yeah. but yeah, no, we, this was the only time the DEA has ever, um, resigned their intent to schedule a substance. The, when they scheduled Molly at schedule one, there were a lot of doctors that came out and said, Hey, this is actually pretty therapeutic. Can you maybe schedule it at schedule three so we can continue to research it? I'm not familiar with that. It is a chain of events, but they're like, no, we're going to schedule it schedule one anyway, even though they had a ton of opposition to it. Now they can't even research it because it's schedule one. Yeah. So Kratom, they came out with the intent to schedule it as schedule one. And a lot of people 
came out and opposed. They shared their stories, they shared traditions, and the DEA got so much pushback from that that they like, okay, well, I guess we won't make it illegal. And since then, every time they've tried to make it illegal, it's been on the state level. And I think pretty much every state at this point has had some attempt to make it illegal, and none of them have been successful other than those two or three states I said. Um, and then in terms of like the addiction, I want I do want to go back to that. So yeah. I used to be addicted to heroin from probably about 17 to 19, um, on and off. You know, I used a lot of hard drugs, amphetamines and things like that. Um, the last time I, I got clean from heroin, which was six years ago, I didn't even think it would last. That's how it was. Cause I would use it for a few weeks, a few months. And it's just not a sustainable habit. It's really unsustainable. The amount of resources that you will drain trying to get that high is unreal. So when I quit, I would quit for a few weeks, a few months, and then I'd go back. And then I would not realize, well, I can't afford it. I can't do this. I can't do that. And then I'd quit for a while. So it wasn't like I was a full-blown shooting up a gram of black tar heroin every single day. But it was enough to the point where I couldn't save money. I was getting credit card debt. And so <clears throat> when I last time I got sober, it's actually my mother's birthday. I was in withdrawal. I had been using it for a few weeks prior, shooting up probably about three times a day, about a hundred dollars worth, which is about a gram. And on my mother's birthday, I had like a hundred dollars to my name, and we went out to breakfast. And I, um, we get home, and I'm starting to go into withdrawals, and I'm like, I can either go out and spend my last hundred dollars. Or I can just accept the fact that I'm going to go into these withdrawals and I'm going to have to face the music at some point. And so I quit. About three months later, uh, I tried Kratom. And I had tried Kratom a couple of times prior, but it never did anything. It was really cheap, shitty Kratom, for lack of a better way of describing it. But I went to this place called Magus Books and Herbs. Oh, I've heard of that. I love that It's in place. Minneapolis. Yeah. Right? And yeah. now all the other Kratom is overpriced. It's really good quality. And I tried it. I'm like, wow, this is great. It's that wonderful opiate feeling I love from, from heroin, but it's not ridiculously expensive and I can't overdose from it. And so I started taking it and then I found online vendors and I started taking it pretty much every day. And I, I do take a lot of it. It's like a pack a day habit. I go through about a kilo every two weeks, which is more than anybody I've ever heard of. And I can't really say it gets me like the overwhelming high that I used to get when I was beginning, but it's enough of that opiate buzz to take away my heroin cravings nice. to the point where if heroin is in front of me, I could say no to it, you know, and I don't go and seek it out. And when I have that feeling of like, oh man, that'd be nice. And I just take Kratom and it goes away for a while. And now I take it probably two or three times a day, just kind of constantly throughout the day. So it is, it is become an addiction in and of itself, but it's sustainable. I can go to work on it. I can, Come home. I can go to bed on it. I can relax. At least it's it. not like ruining your life. Exactly. So yes, it's a drug. Yes, it gets me high, but it's not ruining my life in the way that hard opiates and amphetamines were. And it is a little stimulating too. So it's nice. It it does give me a little boost of energy and helps me get through the day. I've always said that kratom just sort of takes the edge off life, and it absolutely does. Yeah. And um, so that's why I became a huge advocate. Now I've been clean off heroin six years, and it's. And when I first stopped doing heroin, the last time I stopped doing it, because I had stopped doing it, you know, five or six times at that point, I'm like, well, it's not going to last. I shouldn't bother keeping a date or keeping track of it or going to meetings or going to treatment or it's just not going to last. I'll be like this for a couple of months and then I'll be back to it. Yeah. But then I found Kratom and it's been six years. So that to me is, I don't know, it's almost like a little. Miracle. That's awesome, man. I'm happy for you. Thank you. Thank you. 
it's not an easy habit to kick. Definitely. All right. Um. So moving on to the next topic, um, let's talk a little bit about conspiracy theories. What do you think <laughs> about those? I love conspiracy theories, man. They're super entertaining. There's so many to go over. I don't even know where to start. Um, I love some. I love like good comedy conspiracy theories, and I love some of the true ones. And sometimes I'll just think of random <laughs> conspiracy theories out of my head. So I work in in new construction, like new home building, a lot. Um. <clears throat> And I go into porta potties all the time, and there's always Sharpie, Sharpie graffiti on the fucking porta potties. And I'm thinking, Sharpie probably sends representatives out here to start the chain of graffiti so that other people buy Sharpies and use them to graffiti the porta potties. So that's my conspiracy theory. But <laughs> obviously, I know that's just crazy bullshit, but it's fun. It's fun, crazy bullshit. I feel like there's a real psychology behind it too. Oh, Cause yeah. I remember back in like, it was either college or high school. One of my professors was explaining how like, you know, humans, like we love connecting dots. Like yeah, even if there exactly isn't a dot there, is. we're going to look for it. That's exactly. It's like a little puzzle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think it's a lot of fun, but there are some that I really do get behind and I really am like, yeah, there's some fishy going on with this. So let's start with aliens. So Aliens, I'm pretty sure, are real because, like, the the universe is just so, like, vast and huge. Yeah. Um, I will say you're 100% right. I mean, the universe is, is insanely huge. There's no way of really even describing how big it is in human vocabulary. Um, so the idea that humans are the only sentient life form out there is, I mean, I just, it's not, doesn't make any sense. If right. you're somebody who understands just how big the universe is. It doesn't make any sense that humans would be the only sentient life form. Now, have we been visited by them before? Couldn't tell you. I have no idea. I mean, have I you heard of Bob Lazar? <laughs> yeah, I've listened to a little bit of him. So he's a pretty interesting dude. I can't say I'm, I'm super familiar with his work, but I think I watched the Joe Rogan episode where they yeah. talked to him about it. So yeah, I definitely believe there are aliens out there, but also just watching humans and the way that we function. Do you think a sentient, <laughs> I mean, just, this is a question for you. Do you think a sentient conscience life form can exist without completely killing itself and destroying itself? Do you think humanity will make it to the point of intergalactic travel, um, interstellar travel without completely destroying ourselves just from what <sighs> you're seeing right now? That's a really good question. Personally, I'm going to say yes. I'm probably naive and overly optimistic, but I'm going to say yes, because I feel like technology is just absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it seems like technology supersedes us. Yeah. So that's one reason why I would say, yeah, but I also feel like things could go wrong. Cause like, what if we travel to the planet and then our problems carry over? Next thing you know, <laughs> there's racists on Mars, or like, whatever the case may fucking be. Martians, man. <laughs> These fucking earthlings, bro. Coming over here, bringing their weird food. Fucked up on the civics. <laughs> do you no. think, okay, do you think that aliens control us? No, no, not at all. That's, that's my opinion on it. No. All right, cool. No. What do you think is really at Area 51? Probably a military base where they use experimental technology that they don't want other people to know about. Other people, including American people, because there's a good chance the military knows this. There's a good chance that any military technology will be used against 
it's right. civilization. It's, Someone it's could leak it to Russia too. Somebody could Iran. leak it to Russia. So that's a good reason for it. But also, you know, they might end up using those stealth bombers on American citizens. I don't know. I, who knows if there's actually an uprising that happens? You think they're not going to use the military against the American people? And obviously it's not going to be your average GI Joe that's going to come in with a, you know, M4 and start slaughtering everybody in Coon Rapids, Minnesota. It will be stealth bombers controlled by I don't know. Very top secret. Yeah, yeah, mercenaries, top secret government agencies because they can't get the you know the average the fucking American alphabet boys, man. I'm strapped. Their power is like unlimited. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Stay strapped or get clapped, G. All right, let's see. My next question. Okay, this is more of a general one. What is your favorite conspiracy theory? Or if you can't think of a favorite, like, what's your most well evidence that, like, you would argue with anybody, like, you're 100% convinced is true? 9-11. I can't say it was an inside job, but I certainly don't believe that those buildings went down just because especially the second crashes. one well not only that, or wait the seventh or no one. i mean the third one the third one that's yeah what I'm the thinking seventh about. world trade center seven yeah. oh yeah it kind of caught on fire and some shit fell on it and it completely collapsed okay well what about all the other hundreds of skyscrapers that had burned for days on end and never collapsed oh those buildings were actually built to withstand jet impacts like to me also, it's like remember the day before i think it was either the day before or the week of 9-11 the uh, secretary of defense was talking about how they had lost track of like billions, if not trillions of dollars of gold and bullion then, that was underneath the, uh, oh yeah. There's, I think this is just at the Pentagon. They're yeah, just talking the, about like, fi- and then they said that the plane that hit the Pentagon hit the exact room where they kept like the files for like finances. And, and all it was stuff too. one of the, what was it? I, I'm trying to think it was either the only part of the Pentagon that hadn't been renovated to withstand a bomb or whatever, some type of impact, or it was the only part that had just been renovated to withstand that impact. Not to mention there was people are talking about, well, how would they get the bombs into the towers? Um, the years, I don't know if it was the years or year leading up to the attack on 9-11, there had been elevator remodeling projects throughout the World Trade Center. That's a perfect way to get explosives in there. You just start an elevator remodeling project and you don't need a lot of people to do that. You only need one or two. And then another thing I hear people say is, what about the people that knew about it? Well, they could have been on those planes. They could have been the ones in the towers getting killed by the planes. You never know. You know what they did. I don't know. It's uh, compartmentalization. You familiar with that idea of... This, you know, they use that during the building of the nuclear bombs where people, when they're building something that they don't need to know about, they only know about what they need to know about to get that through. So the oh, people yeah. working on the nuclear bombs, they didn't know they were building nuclear bombs. They knew they were building some type of uh, timer or some type of weird circuit or some yeah. type of they didn't know that they're building a bomb that was going to be used to kill tens of thousands of people so even though tens of thousands of people worked on that project in those towns building those bombs only a handful of people knew so the biggest thing i hear say is how would you keep that secret because so many people would know about it well not really only a handful of people would have had to know about it and only a handful of people would have had to carry out especially back then too because in 2001 the internet wasn't like what it is today too yeah and who's to say they didn't kill off those people that knew about it yeah. If they're willing to kill off thousands of people in 9-11, what makes them what makes you so sure that they wouldn't kill off the 300 people that knew they were going to do it? Right. Um, and then there's also the one guy said he sent off dust from the tower that was in his apartment 
to be analyzed by a lab and they found thermite traces of thermite in there. Oh shit. Yeah. And then there's also how the steel beams in the middle look like they have been cut with some type of uh, explosive agent. Like if you look up pictures from the wreckage wreckage, you'll see steel beams that are cut at like a night or not 90, 45 degree angle. Yeah. So I don't know. Nine 11 is one of those things to me. I'm like, it, it, it almost seems obvious once you start looking at the pieces. So, yeah. Okay. On the flip side, what is like one that like you're not sure of, but or like you don't have as much evidence for, but you still kind of believe it. Sandy Hook. That one, I don't even want to touch with a 10-foot pole. But that's you don't there. want to turn like Alex Jones and get banned from the internet forever. <laughs> yeah, you know, I do not want to do that. So I won't touch that one with a 10-foot pole, but I can see why people... I will say, this is where I, w- I will put it as. I don't go as far as, as to say I believe it was uh, some type of inside job. But I will say that there is some weird, weird things happening with that one. But yeah. actors. That's about all I'm willing to say all right, on, I gotcha, on the gotcha. about that one. But also the moon landing. That's one I'm like, I'm, I kind of believe it might have been faked, but I also kind of believe it probably wasn't. Like, it's like there's a lot of weird evidence about that one, too. Or like the space program being fake and, and stuff like that. So that one I, I don't have as much evidence on. But when I look into it, I get some some real uh, huh going on. I feel it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So last question related to conspiracy theories, like how do you go about approaching people that you think would be like skeptical? Like, you know how like people who are into conspiracy theories, they get called like wacko crazy. Yeah. How do you go about approaching like a normal person without coming off? As, like, I, don't. <laughs> I don't. I just don't. I feel it. That's where I'm at. You know, I, I might crack a little joke about it and see where they, they land. But as as it normally goes, I just don't I really don't. That's Not anymore. Thing. I used to. Yeah. It just is like a, one thing I've learned in my adventures in life is that you generally can't tell people anything that they don't want to know. They have to learn on their own. And the people that are interested in that sort of thing, they'll maybe learn on their own and maybe they'll seek me out. I don't know. But I just don't talk to them about it. And that kind of goes with anything. You know, there's been a lot of people they're maybe doing something and I'm like, eh, you probably shouldn't be doing that. But then I'm like thinking to myself, like, they're not going to listen to me. They're just not. They'll yeah. learn on their own. That's kind of my, my philosophy on life. I feel that. Um, okay. So last topic that I have for us is related to what it's like being a furry because I know nothing about it. Do you want to just, I like, could talk for days on being a furry. All right, let's hear it. I'm ready. I got, well, I mean, what do you want to hear world. about it? Like, <laughs> I got pictures of you ever play Star Fox? Yeah, I did actually. Star Fox Adventures. Yeah. The front for GameCube. I got Crystal over there in the wall. Oh, nice. Yeah, she got her tit out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. I I, ever since I was a little and like it ties into inflatables and plush too. Like ever since I was a little kid, I, I imagine just really liking them and having just this sort of that's more inflatables and plush, like. I just a sort of obsession with them uh, and desire for them. And then when I was a kid, I also really liked the anthropomorphic animal characters. You know, I loved Star Fox. I had a huge crush on him when I was a kid. <laughs> um, and then as I grew up and entered the world of the Internet, 4chan, I remember being on 4chan and first seeing furry art and stuff like that. I'm like, wow, this is great. How could anybody not like this? And I went and told my friends, like, wait, you're a furry? I'm like, what? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> and then um, then later on, I found the inflatable and plush community, which those communities are a lot more closer to my heart. 
um, just because of what a huge impact those have had on my life. And I just found how closely related those were to the furry community. So I got a fursuit. I got made a character, which is Nusky. Um, started making stuffed animals. I go to conventions. It's so much fun, dude. No, like as far as the conventions, like, is it really fun? Like, do you like connecting yeah. with the other people and stuff? Yeah, I like love that? connecting. I love interacting yeah. with them. I love meeting all my friends. We got friends that are furries. We just had one visit from Colorado uh, over the summer. We had someone visit from those are inflatable friends too. They like them too. Uh, we had a visit from, uh, I'm not sure. He was from Florida, but I think now he's back in Idaho. But I've made so many friends in this community. I love just putting on a fursuit and like going and talking to people and just just getting in that zone. It almost kind of reminds me of like the gaming community because like the yeah. gaming community, they say, you know, like a lot of people just look at it as, okay, you have fun, whatever. But there's more to it. Like people are there for you. Like people yeah. have a hard day. Sometimes people cry. You know, yeah. you're there for them. It helps you cope with life and stuff. I've, I've made so many friends and a lot of people, they do cope with life through these hobbies and interests. You know, when they're going through their daily life as Carter or David or Ben, and they they deal with all that shit and everything that might get them down, when they put on that fursuit and they become their character, when they become Mesky or whoever it is, that sort of goes away and they get to embody this whole new person and this whole new character. And they get to be all the things that they always dream they could be. Whereas in real life, you're nothing really that special, no matter who you are. But when you're that character, you are special. And then you have a very special bond with that character. Mesky, I hold dear to my heart. Those colors, I, I love those colors. It's just, it's, it's definitely as toxic as any other internet community and any other <laughs> fandom could possibly be. But the warmth I found in that community is just unreal. You can just go up and talk. You go to a convention, you can just go up and talk to somebody and you know, Hey, we have this this bond that we share. We like this one really specific niche thing. And although we may like it in different ways, we do share that bond. So I know I have something in common with you and we can talk about something. Right. Whereas you don't get that, you know, in normal life. And I'm sure you get that if you're at an anime convention or a gaming convention or something. But you don't get that. You don't get to walk into Target and see all a bunch of random people like, ah, <laughs> I like something about you. You like, you know, if you ever go to Target or Walmart. You go to the video games or movies and you see somebody holding a movie that you're like, that's such a good effing movie. And you might make a, a, a comment to them <laughs> or you see somebody wearing a band T-shirt that you really like and nobody else really likes that band. And so you start talking about it. And you just start nerding out over it. It's like that. But entire hotels filled with these people. So that's what I feel about the furry community. I think that's cool, too, because like one thing that I've always admired is I kind of see how like it helps people like form and kind of process their identity yeah and identity is so important as humans yeah. and i feel like it's something that a lot of people shy away from or don't take serious they don't examine themselves so i can see how that would definitely be helpful yeah ben doesn't even <clears throat> call me carter my husband ben he does not call me carter he calls me mesky he sees me as a stuffed animal which my character is he called me as plush in, in our wedding vows and nice <laughs> it's just it's sweet like that is mesky such a huge part of my identity and i know it's such a huge part of our relationship uh, it, it's been a huge important part of my life awesome thanks for sharing that absolutely man all right uh last thing i'm or yeah last thing here uh what do you look forward to most this year in 2021 I'm not wearing a fucking mask. <laughs> going to a concert in a group full of people in a room full of people. Dude, I need to go to a festival. Yeah, dude, I haven't ever too. been to me one. Me either. Really? I, I want to. I've I thought you of all festival. people would have been to like I'm, tons. I, I'm a little antisocial, honestly. 
I am a little. We should go to one together. I'd do it 100%. I'd I'd get a couple of tents and a couple of RVs or something and just go out and party hard. Just do it. But yeah, I've gone to a couple of concerts, but generally I only go to concerts if I really like the band. But now that I'm with Ben and we go on all these adventures together, like that sounds like a lot of fun going to the festival. So yeah, I'll totally go on a festival with you. Yeah. All right. uh, That's all I've got. Is there anything you want to say before departing here? No, it's fun. All right. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Anytime, man. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed the show and had fun while learning more from everyday people just like yourselves. To support us and help us spread these stories even further, please consider giving us a review or rating on whichever platform you're streaming from. There will be links in the description box just in case you can't find it. And for more news and all things everyday people, join our newsletter by going to our website. By joining, you'll also gain exclusive offers and discounts on Illuminating Mycelium merchandise and apparel from our store. Just go to IlluminatingMyceliumPodcast.com or click the link in the description and become the Mycelium.